You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Okay. Hi, everybody. So, good evening. My name is Luke, um, and I'm going to do the Bible reading for today. It is Peter 1, uh, 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Benitha, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has been given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intensely with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Amen. Good evening. Am I on? Yeah. Well, let me present to you tonight First Peter, because this letter, though written to believers um, all over what is now modern Turkey, about 60 years after the life of Jesus, it is like it is written for us today, for our cultural moment that we are in at the moment. The people Peter writes to they're not facing full-on persecution to the extent that many face today around the world with imprisonment and, and death on confession of faith. But like today, there was increasing opposition and suffering to those who stood faithful to God and the gospel. They were being slandered. They were being labeled and shamed. Many, many Christians were being marginalized and where it was legal, Christians were the subject of physical abuse. So, Peter writes this letter to Christians to encourage them. In the face of this 
marginalization and persecution to not lose heart, to persevere in the faith, to not throw in the towel in the face of such hostility. And section by section, as you read this letter, Peter builds his readers up. And this letter speaks today to our own pilgrimage. We are living in an increasing alien world. We face cultural pressure to conform. There is a marginalization. Yes, we have so many wonderful freedoms compared to other countries and believers around the world, but the pressure to compromise and to bow down is certainly increasing. It is subtle, but it is increasing. Now, if you uh, journey through the Old Testament, you have nine main eras. You have the era of creation, the patriarch, exodus, the conquest, judges, kingdom, exile, return, and silence. And in the exile era, this was a 70-year period during which um, Israel's leaders live in exile, having been conquered by foreign countries. And this time you have leaders like Daniel, which is why we're going through Daniel in the morning, and people like Ezekiel, who were marked by this. In the era of exile, and in their time, where the pressure was so great to compromise, they were marked by faithfulness, faithfulness to God. They did not bow down. And I love Peter's letters because they teach us, the church today, how can we be faithful in an exile world? And I believe at the end of the day, that is what Jesus is looking for in us, his church. He's looking for a people who are faithful. I find no place in the Bible where God's servants are called to be successful. Rather, our call is to be faithful. And I think 1 Peter is a great letter to help us in that. Now, if we're going to thrive in this era of exile, if we're going to truly um, follow Christ wholeheartedly in our culture, then um, the call for us is to influence. And I, I, there are three other ways that we can respond to as we face the challenges of today. Many Christians become imitators where we just try and fit in with the values and the culture around us. Second group of people often become intimidated. So they form subcultures and become separatist in their faith and they try and withdraw because they're intimidated with what is going on around them in the world. And uh, the third group of people often infuriated, <laughs> so angry with what they see is, um, is they're just frustrated uh, and they often fight to try and get us back to kind of Christendom and that's often through political means or through uh, legal means, so many different things, um, but they become infuriated and we as followers of Jesus in our present world of exile, with its challenges, I believe God is calling us to have remarkable courage, to be like a Daniel in our day, to have remarkable courage, to have extraordinary faith, and be different, 
and through that difference, influence the world around us with kingdom influence, to be like Jesus in our world. We've got to live in that tension, haven't we, of um, being able to reach out without selling out and live in that, that kingdom tension. In fact, I believe Christians thrive, and we see this with church history and revivals in the past, that churches thrive, Christians thrive and grow most when marginalized and in exile. It's like, it's like we go through a sifting to see how genuine our faith is and how serious we are about following Jesus wholeheartedly. I think Peter really helps us. And we see in this chapter, uh, right at the opening statements, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered. We, we, we see Peter here is writing to exiles. And he, he unpacks this more and more. You see this theme of living in exile throughout the letter where he refers to Christians as, as sojourners and foreigners and aliens. In other words, we do not actually belong here. Josh was talking about home. A really important aspect of home is that this is not our home, which we're trying to create, as it were, a temporary home here in terms of community and family and welcoming people back to God and creating rooms in our society to call people home, which is ultimately to worship God. But we don't belong here. Heaven is our home. We belong to a whole nother world, a whole nother kingdom, a whole nother system, a whole nother way of doing life. And so in that, there's, there's a homesickness in our soul. There's a, a discomfort. There's an unease, a sense like we're not actually welcome here. We're at odds with many of the things that we see in our current world. And Peter here introduced himself as an apostle. And it's really important that we grasp this. Uh, Peter, who is living and addressing this culture, uh, which is very similar to the challenge that we face today, wasn't sitting in some ivory tower uh, and making judgments on these Christians. Here is a man, we find in Peter, who has experienced himself times of absolute joy with God, but also times of personal denial and struggles and the pain of living in that tension of being in exile. Here, here is a, um, a man who, who can give us such incredible insights. He's the one who said, you are the Christ that revelation which was revealed by the Father. Uh, Peter, who is fiercely loyal to Jesus, that he chops off the ear of the guard in Gethsemane. Do you remember that? I actually think it was a terrible miss. Uh, but he actually chopped the ear off this, terror, off this uh, guard. Here's a guy who, who denied Jesus three times. Denied Jesus three times. Here's a man who Jesus rebukes saying, get behind me, Satan. But a man who Christ lovingly restored when asked, do you love me? And in Acts, goes on to usher in Pentecost and the birth of the church. He has a great revelation, doesn't he, in Acts chapter 10. That vision going to Cornelius' house, that this gospel is for everyone, the Jew and the Gentile. And Peter then goes on into this section, 
right up until verse 13, to give us, I think, very unhelpfully, no imperatives whatsoever. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm in a world of exile. I feel like an exile. I'm being marginalized. I'm at odds with the culture. Please, God, just tell me what to do. (laughs) Just give me some commands. I, I feel like I can handle that. Just tell me how to survive and thrive in this culture. But none of it. Peter wants, as we see in many of the letters in the New Testament, he wants the foundations to be set where he really, um, we see this, this thing called gospel grammar. Before we get to the imperatives of what to do, is often the foundation is set with principles of who we are. Truths to lay hold of before we get practical. And so, you could argue unhelpfully, Peter starts off by giving us in this first passage some truths that we need to grasp before we even get to understanding practically how do we live this thing out. And the first thing Peter is a, a pains really to express is that we must understand who we are. We must understand our identity. How do we resist the pressure to fit in? How do we not bow down in our culture? How do we not compromise by knowing who we are in Christ? By knowing whose we are, who we belong to, who am I? And we live in a world, don't we, right now, where people are searching for identity. Identity theft has been something that has, uh, is, is something I have seen in my generation, in the emerging generation, for years. But it is increasing because people are looking for labels and they're looking for identity. They're hungry and thirsty to know who they are, whether that's relating to sexuality or gender or our career and job, our relationships, our our status of wealth. What Peter wants to communicate to Christians is that your identity is that you are a follower of Jesus. The Bible is constantly imploring us to detach from these labels and attach ourselves to being grounded and rooted in our God-given identity. Peter constantly reaffirms our new identity. And as I said with his biography, he's the kind of guy who understands this. I'm sure on many difficult day which he had, he would have been wrestling with the issue of identity. Who am I? Am I even Christ? Do I even belong to him? But he knew. He knew that his confidence ran so much deeper than the superficial. It had to run deeper. Peter knew that he was an apostle. He knew that he was foreknown. He knew he was God's elect. He knew that he was chosen. And I love that idea, and we must grasp this, our identity is rooted in the fact that we're chosen by God. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. Even before we ever performed, in inverted commas, as a Christian, 
God chose us and loved us. And so often we're looking to get our worth and our approval and our acceptance from God based on how good of a Christian I am. And that's why we must always understand gospel grammar when you understand that you are a son and a daughter of the king, when you're a co-heir with Christ, when you are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did. That is what makes you do right things because you know who you are. All behavior, all action flows from who you are. Where someone is struggling with their identity, you will see a manifestation of dysfunction, of not being healthy, of addiction, because they don't know who they are. And so, so it's so important as followers of Jesus that we establish a foundation like Peter, even though like him, we have bad days. We have days like where we deny Christ. We have days where we get it wrong. We think we're helping. And Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. And yet, God always looks at our lives from completion, not from the beginning. He saw Peter. He saw the character that he was. This fiercely loyal character. This gritty character. And he's someone who will get through those quitting points. He'll get through those bad days And he'll come out the other side and look what happens in the book of Acts. And so being chosen is all to do about the one who's doing the choosing. It's not about kind of exalting ourselves in that we are chosen, but it's more recognizing that we're being chosen by him. And that changes everything changes everything when you know that you are chosen by God, by his great mercy, through his blood, sprinkled upon us by his grace. The second thing that Peter wants to establish is this, is that if we're going to thrive in exile, if we're going to understand our identity, then it must come through the hope that is laid out in the gospel. And we read that in verse 3. Uh, to five, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's focus here is this, is that when you're facing an era of exile, when you're facing compromise, marginalization, when you're being tempted to bow down, then it's all about where you place your hope. Where do you want to place your hope? And the encouragement of Peter here is to place your hope in Christ and the gospel. This isn't some wishy-washy hope. This is firm and a sure hope. This is a living hope. And we, and we must grasp this because I think um, one of the, the kind of the, the false doctrines which is very prevalent today, of course, is the health and wealth gospel. And I think one of the reasons this is so popular is complete misunderstanding of 
of, of the kingdom and of what Jesus taught. But he's teaching a generation that you do not have to wait to get everything. Is you can come to Christ and just everything will be sorted. Your life will be fixed. And that is incredibly appealing. Many an altar call has been done based on that. Come to Jesus and everything will be sorted. Everything will be fixed for you. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. And everyone's like, okay, I'm in. Well, really, the call of Christ is to carry your cross and to come and to, to die and for self-denial and to give everything to him and to lay everything down. And so our hope can't be on something that is so short-term and seen with our own eyes. This is something that has to be eternal to do with an inheritance that's everlasting. Peter's constantly living with the end in mind. That no matter what happens in this life, I have that sure, firm hope in Christ and what he did for me and in my future inheritance of being with him forever. I just want to stretch this point slightly by thinking it through cultural lenses as we pilgrim through this world with the increase of consumerism and uh, social media and the speed of, of, of everything really. The reality is we don't wait well, do we? I'll be honest with you, I'm terrible at waiting. And um, God keeps giving me some important lessons to help me. Uh, the most recent one is, is I had an operation. We just moved house and um, I got a herniated bowel and they had to do an emergency uh, operation and I'm just coming out of recovery now. But uh, it, was, uh, it was horrific. <laughs> I mean, Joni deserves a medal for looking after me as well as uh, three kids and being pregnant and everything else. Um, but particularly in that first week where I could barely walk and, um, excuse me, I just need a tissue, barely walk and um, just couldn't do anything. And I really, really struggled. I was praying prayers like, Lord, just take me now. I cannot cope. And you know, it's like, you know, man flu, you know. I mean, I personally think I'm dying with everything. Um, but in that, again, God just keeps teaching me about celebrating process, celebrating journeying, celebrating taking things slowly. So often we're in a rush, and God really isn't in as big a rush as we are. And, and, and so we don't often want to wait well. And, and I, I know for myself is that I want things now, but maturity in Christ is about cultivating a, a a discipleship walk and a heart that is faithful as we wait. In fact, I would say that the definition of a successful Christian is a faithful Christian is someone who is just waiting, just hoping, just so often getting through another day and getting through another week and just showing up and just turning up and being faithful even when it's really difficult. I believe God does his best work when we slow down. I actually think if we allow it, this COVID pandemic season could be a redemptive gift to us to simplify our lives and to get us to slow down. That we'll understand what it means to, to fast again and to spend time studying God's word and to meditate on his word and to be in his presence and to wrestle 
and not be in a rush, knowing that by his great power, he is guarding for us this inheritance. We put our faith in that. This is an inheritance that will never perish. It is permanent. It won't change. So many things in life change, don't they? But this is the one thing that will never change. This is an anchor that we can depend on. It won't spoil or fade. You will have this eternal relationship with God. And then thirdly and finally, I think this passage teaches us to have a robust theology of suffering. That actually our faith, when it's tested in suffering and persecution, is the very thing that tests us to see if our faith is actually real. Is it genuine? Is it, is it counterfeit? Or is this thing genuine? And the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what you believe or how you often behave. We all, guaranteed, will have suffering in this world. We all have grief of all kinds, all kinds of trials. And the question for us, therefore, is how do we respond? And as you read in verse 6, it says this. Again, I think really unhelpfully, thank you, Peter, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice in your suffering. And, and, and so many in the Western world, we understand, don't we? We get joy. We can understand joy with money. That's often how the Western world thinks. Or we can understand joy with um, looking great. But hold on, the Christian kingdom narrative and script for our lives is that we must link joy with suffering. That is the combination that Peter is offering us here. And, and it's not about like, oh, you know, I, I herniated my bowel or I, as I did a couple of years ago, I tore, tore my hamstring. Oh, praise Jesus. And we go around just saying praise Jesus all the time. You know, so you get hit by a car and someone says, you know, at least it wasn't a bus. And you're like, well, thanks very much. We're not talking about um, just fake Christianity, you know. <laughs> let's be real. If you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. But what he's saying is this is, it's about rejoicing, not in the pain, but in what the suffering produces. What is it producing? Pain and grief produces. And, and in, in that is, is a testing of our faith. It likes faith to be like gold. You know, put gold in the fire and it, it burns off the impurities and leaves a purer gold in the refiner's fire. That is, that is how God refines our faith and makes it genuine as it gets thrown in the fire, the fire of trial and the fire of testing. And so when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through loneliness or grief or pain and faith is being thrown in the fire, here's the questions to know if it's genuine, if our faith is genuine. Do I, do I still cling to Jesus? Or is it purely based on an emotion or good health or circumstances? Everything's going well, so I'll keep worshipping and living for Jesus. But the moment I have a setback, do I still cling to Jesus? You know, when I, when I pray and I read my Bible and I still 
it still feels empty. It feels like there's a disconnect. It feels like I'm, nothing's happening. In fact, I, I feel more tired. I feel worse. Do we still rise the next day and do the same thing again? That's why Peter talks about, though you have not seen him, I love him. I'm filled with an inexpressible joy. Though I've not seen him, though I've been walking with Jesus for 32 years. And I, I made a covenant, I made a vow many, many years ago before the Lord. I didn't care if I ever felt nothing again. If I never had another touch from God, an encounter with God, an experience from God, and if I had really a lot of pain, is that my word is my word. Though I've not seen him, I love him. I just love him. I love Jesus. If you read some of the accounts of um, prominent Christians who've actually become atheists, and you read some of their biographies and their accounts, it's amazing is that they still talk about moments where they miss Jesus. And they well up. They still miss Jesus. Even though they've become atheists and they've sought to disprove their faith, they still miss him. Trials come into every person's life. And there are two types of trials. We mustn't get confused. There's trials because we've forgotten God and we've forsaken him. And that's not a, a trial to rejoice over. That is a trial to repent over and say, God, I've forsaken you and I've forgotten you. We need to turn back to him. But then there are trials in life that we need to rejoice in because we're following Jesus. We're, we're persecuted and it's in spite of Jesus. And these are all sorts of trials. It's a rainbow spectrum of trials. It's... it's <laughs> It could be to do with our finances or the car breaking down or relational or our marriage or we're tired or sickness or employment. We will face all of these trials. And to prove that our faith is genuine, what Peter is encouraging us to do is to remain faithful, is to hang in there, is to not quit, is to recognize that Jesus is making us more like him. Because if you read about the life of Jesus, it included cost and suffering. These trials are making us more mature. It's doing a work in us. It's changing our vision and our perspective. It's making us more like Christ and also helping us to help others. Some of you have gone through stuff in the last couple of years that you've never gone through before, but now you can actually enter into somebody else's world into their shoes and help them with a compassion and an empathy that you never had before. And that's because you went through the trial. And now you're a role model to others. You can say, look, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. You can get through this. I got through it and I had some really tough days. I had some dark days, but you can get through this. And so I want to encourage you in conclusion is to focus, this is Peter's encouragement to us in exile, is to focus on the age to come. To have your perspective that's eternal so that you will receive the crown for persevering. 
and those who are prepared to use this life as an arena of endurance for the sake of Christ. Our promise is, is that we will find an abundant life awaiting for us from the hand of God. And that is our prize, and that is our goal. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.